Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the thepetecallendershow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Talk 1110-993-WBT, hour number two underway. Pete Callender here. Thanks a lot for hanging out. I do appreciate it. I am feeling better. Thank you very much for the well wishes. Right now, I want to welcome back to the program North Carolina Speaker of the House, Tim Moore. Uh, welcome, sir. How are you? Hey, doing great, Pete. Good to be back with you, sir. Yes, sir. So um, you guys did a news conference this morning in the capital uh, city of Raleigh uh, regarding what's going on down in Texas. So tell us what the big announcement was today. What we did was we issued a statement and a call for Governor Cooper uh, to join in and support Governor Abbott of Texas in standing with Texas to protect their border. Uh, You have a situation right now where... We know the federal government, uh, Biden, the administration, is simply allowing the border to essentially be thrown open. Uh, I actually visited the border about three months ago and saw this firsthand. Uh, folks are just streaming across there, numbers like 13,000 a day, drugs. I mean, it's just awful. And so you've got a situation where the federal government is not doing its job. But what's even worse is when Texas has stepped up and said, okay, fine, we're going to take care of this. We're going to erect barriers. We're going to do things to try to to, to – uh, stem the, the the tide of folks coming across the federal government has actually gotten in there and said that they can't do it actually preventing them from doing it and the best analogy i know to draw can you imagine if a hurricane hit north carolina and the federal government says no we're not going to help you clean up we're not going to pay for it you're on your own north carolina but then imagine them taking the next step where they say you know what north carolina now you can't even clean up the damage from the hurricane well that's essentially what the federal government is doing here with texas when it comes to protecting their border. Uh, and it's just, it, it's just, it's unprecedented. And what we did was we've called on the governor to, to stand with Texas because while folks come, maybe come through the border in Texas, they're not just staying there. They're coming here to North Carolina peak. The drugs are coming here. Fentanyl deaths are up. It is an absolute clear and present danger to this state. And so as state legislators for North Carolina, we're calling on our governor to do his job to stand with them. But if he doesn't, uh, then we're prepared to take action when we come back in the, spe- in the special session, or excuse me, the short session in April. But, you know, there are things he can do. He can attach North Carolina Guardsmen to the Texas National Guard. Uh, he can resist any efforts by the feds to do things to bring folks he- here who are illegally in the country to North Carolina and get them on any kind of public services or anything like that. The other thing the governor can commit to do, Pete, is to sign the legislation that that the House has now passed that mandates that if someone commits a crime in in, in our state, a dangerous crime, who's here illegally, that the sheriff or the other law enforcement agency involved must cooperate with Immigration's Custom Enforcement to ensure that person goes through that process. So those are what we've asked the governor to do. Uh, We'll see if he does. I don't, frankly, hold out much hope in it. He's generally standing with Biden on all these kinds of things. But by having a Republican supermajority in the state legislature, there are things that we can and that we will do when we come back in session. So one of the suggestions is to um, 
deploy additional National Guard troops from North Carolina to help Texas. Is there one of the concerns I've seen with this idea is that the Biden administration could essentially take control of the National Guard in those states? Is is that is that your understanding of what could happen? And if that were to happen, uh, would that sort of render the the action irrelevant or moot? Right. So so and I will say I was having a little difficulty hearing you, but uh, with respect to the National Guard, we presently have 125 uh, National Guardsmen who are assigned to the border. I had the chance to meet with them. These are wonderful uh, men and women who have volunteered for this assignment because they, they love this country and they want to do their job. Uh, but they are attached to the uh, – they, they're federalized and attached to Border Patrol, so they are not attached to the Texas National Guard. So uh, our our ask would be that they work with the te- – that whoever is sent – either the current group or the next group, be assigned and attached to the Texas National Guard to assist them with the efforts to secure the border. Essentially, right now, our guardsmen, as I understand, are observing and reporting what's happening, So, and, and which is an absolutely key and critical function. But I think we need to do all we can to help them because, let's, let's face it, I mean, you've covered this on your show. It's been covered pretty well in the media. The federal government is not doing anything to stem the flow. Here's what's happening. Folks are coming in. They're, they come across the border illegally. They are detained, uh, you know, ever so, ever so briefly. Uh, they're then given some money, maybe a plane ticket, a bus ticket, uh, and then sent on their way with a court date to show up five years later. It's an absolute mockery of what's happening right now. What about the, uh, the these NGOs that are? Uh, helping to spread people throughout the country. Where do, how, how do we get at that funding mechanism that exists when it's not directly the federal government that's doing it? They're NGOs that are getting grant money to assist with the uh, with the you know the the relocation of these migrants. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, we need to we need to cut that off. That's one of the things that we've called upon. I I kind of glossed over it when your initial initial statement, but but yes, that's one of the things that we are demanding that, that there not be any of this kind of – and most of those grants, as I understand, Pete, go through the uh, DHS, the uh, uh, Health and Human Services. Uh, we're asking that all of that kind of thing stop, that that not be happening, that that not occur, and that our state HHS not do anything to facilitate something like that. Uh, we passed a law – it's been a few years ago now – but we passed a law in North Carolina to ban sanctuary cities. So we certainly don't need to do anything that would make North Carolina a sanctuary state. So when it comes to NGOs, any government money needs to be cut off. Of course, what private individuals do with private funds, that's their business. Uh, but you know, if, if we would just finish the construction of the wall, control the number of folks coming across, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cut down on this. And I'm going to tell you, man, it, the drug problem right now, when you talk to folks in law enforcement, They'll tell you anywhere between 90 to 95 percent of the illegal drugs coming across the border right this minute are coming out of our southern border. And and let me give you another stat. In the last four months alone, over 50 people on the terror watch list were apprehended at our at our southern border. Well, just imagine the folks that got through that weren't caught. I mean, it's it's not just folks coming from South America and Central America. You have folks from the Middle East, you have Russians, you have Chinese, you have folks from all over the world. And you also have a lot of military-age males coming through that border. I mean, you know, not trying to be alarmist, but hey, somebody's got to sound the alarm. Mm-hmm. And North Carolina has now been thrust into essentially being a border state. 
and our governor needs to step up and do his job to protect the people of the state. Well, yeah, I mean, it's from uh, from a tactical standpoint, it makes perfect sense. You you overwhelm the ports of entry, the legal ports, the the places where people are crossing, and you you uh, you keep border patrol busy with all of that, and then that drains resources and and manpower from the other parts of the border where you can then keep the flow of the illegal uh people or or narcotics across that part of the border it's a gate crashing system and anybody who's been to a you know grateful dead show knows it (laughs) you're spot on uh when i was there a few months ago pete i was there we were on the rio grande we were on a but one of these airboats right these things are loud you're not going to sneak up on anybody on one of these things right big fan on the back and the thing says Texas Highway Patrol on the side. So, you know, no question who was you know, on this airboat. Uh, we're riding with these folks and, and looking. And folks are literally crossing the river, like right in front of us, with mm. just impunity, walking in. So there's zero deterrent right now to it. Um, it's, and I don't know if you remember, and I don't know how much time we have left in the segment, but I, this is probably worth mentioning. Yeah. Do you remember the floating buoys that were out there, the orange and white mm-hmm. buoys that were out there on that stretch of the river to – that, that Texas installed, uh, they were right there in the river yeah. of Rio Grande, in the Biden administration suit over it. It was real interesting. That thing ran for maybe, I don't know, a couple hundred yards. The reason that they put the buoys there that Texas did was because that particular stretch of the river was especially treacherous, and people were drowning two and three a day right there in that stretch. So they basically put that there not to be inhumane, but so that folks wouldn't try to cross there because people were drowning. And then you have the federal government suing to remove that. I mean, it, it, and seeing it with my own eyes was uh, eye-opening, I guess. Uh, and seeing there, and it's just so obvious that the federal government is just, it, it's like a willful a- attempt to just basically throw the borders open. And I, I just, I can't sit idly by and just not try to do as much as I can while I'm still here in the state legislature to, to deal with this. Of course, I'm you know, running for Congress and hopefully be in a position to really make action there. But this is a big deal, and it's affecting our states. And I can tell you that every single one of our uh, Republicans in the state house uh, signed on to this letter. Uh, that's a supermajority, and and you know we're tired of it, and and we're we want something done with this border. If you do get Alejandro Mayorkas over this, absolutely. Uh, I hope he's out. Of, I hope he's gone by the time I'm in Congress. Uh, but but absolutely, it's complete dereliction of duty what's happening right there. Uh, my hope is when I'm sworn into Congress next year that uh, President Trump will also be the uh, uh, will be the president of the United States, and we'll actually have someone uh, working in the administration that's trying to you know, close our border and bring back some sanity to this. So uh, uh, that's what I'm hoping for when I'm there. So uh, real quick, before I let you run, I had a, a caller ask me about the raise the age law and uh, the crime that we've seen. Is there any uh, appetite in the legislature in the short session to do anything about the raise the age law and um, uh, with regard to juveniles that are committing you know tons of crimes over and over and over again? Yes, there is. Um, you know, the, the, the intent behind the raise the age uh, law was to basically... Uh, not have children, you know, truly children getting swept into the adult system. But what we have seen is where particularly a lot of your gangs and so forth are using this as a way to kind of have some some of their younger folks who are not yet adults commit some of the most atrocious and repetitive and violent crimes out there. So, you know, while while the current law allows for those those juveniles to be tried as adults, the way that the 
scales have kind of set right now, it's, it's somewhat disfavored. I think you can see us work to try to to rectify that. We certainly need to. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's like any other law. You do something and you think you're improving something and you realize, well, this is this is an issue. So, uh, uh, yes, we need to because, uh, look, it, and as you all have covered, uh, the number of, like, property crimes and things that are occurring in, in Charlotte and Mecklenburg County are on the rise, and the number of offenders who are juvenile, it's just gone through the roof. So that's something that we're very, uh, very paying a lot of attention to, and I think you can expect us to deal with that as well. Uh, House Speaker Tim Moore, also candidate for uh, uh, the 14th Congressional District. We appreciate your time, sir. Safe travels. Good luck on the campaign trail. Thanks. Good to be with you, Pete. All right. Take care. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay. So what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com, veteran-owned Carolina readiness supply will you be ready when the lights go out news talk 1110 wbt 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110 um after the break, at the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk with uh, Representative John Hardister. He's actually running for labor commissioner, but he is also the deputy whip in the North Carolina General Assembly. Uh, in the in the House side, we'll talk to him momentarily. Uh, first, though, let me jump over here and get Tommy on the program. Hello, Tommy. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Hey, uh, first of all, I'm glad to have you back. Glad uh, that you're feeling better. Um, and I just wanted to commend you on bringing up the topic of NGOs. Uh, for some reason, and, and I'll ask a question at the end, and, and you can give me your take, nobody knows about the NGOs, what they do. Nobody talks about it. It's like a third rail, and it's really the mechanism, and they're nonprofit on top mm-hmm. of that, and they're right here in America, and they're the mechanism that fuels, uh, you know, fuels the, the back end of this mass immigration. I was just curious... And again, thanks for bringing it up. But why doesn't anyone else talk about it, like on Fox or anywhere else? I I cannot speak to Fox. I rarely ever watch Fox programming, so I don't know. Um, But yeah, to me, like this is the uh, you know the this is the money behind the operations. And I don't know how much these NGOs get from federal grants or state grants, or if it's all private donations, uh, because it's one of the things about you know uh, these organizations they move so much money around between their you know C threes and C fours. It's just you know it's just constantly washing and passing through money. It, it's hard to keep track of it, and that's by design. Um, and I don't know how you get to the root of that except for massive investigations by the IRS, for example. But they're really busy right now going after, uh, like, Tea Party groups and MAGA people, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that answers the question or not. Tommy, I appreciate the call. Um, 
Yeah, I, I don't know why more people don't spend a lot of time on the NGOs. I've seen, you know who does, uh, I think it's the Capital Research Center. They've been doing a, um, they've been doing a ton of stories on it. Capital Research. Um, and there's another one. Oh, gosh, I'm trying to remember what it is. Um, but they, yeah, so I know like uh, AP Dillon, she did a bunch of stories on the the, the facility in Greensboro uh, that was identified for use as a like a, a migrant child uh, warehousing operation or something. It was a school. Um, we covered that a couple of weeks ago based off of her reports on it. So, I mean, there are people doing this work. Yeah, it just doesn't get the traction because I suspect nobody wants to track the money because if they track the money, it's going to track back to some of their friends. That's my suspicion. All righty, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. The email is Pete at the show.com and on Twitter at Pete Callender. I want to welcome to the program now John Hardister. He is uh, not just uh, a candidate for North Carolina's Labor Commissioner, uh, but he is also a state representative. He is the deputy whip in the General Assembly as well. Welcome, sir. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So uh, for folks who aren't aware, tell people what the whip does. So you're like the hammer? So the whip? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. So the whip does really two things. One, we count the votes, especially if there's a veto override. We have to make sure members know they have to be on the House floor and what time so they don't, they don't miss the vote. And then also we, uh, we track attendance. So if, if there's an important bill that's going to be in committee, on the House floor, I got to make sure that members are there and they know what time to be there. So, uh, like like herding cats, basically. It's basically like herding cats. Yeah, yeah. that's a very accurate description. Yeah. Okay. So, um, we just had Speaker Tim Moore on. He talked about the letter that uh, they have uh, that they uh, put together, and he had uh, what seventy two all seventy two members of the House. I assume you are on the list uh, in that letter as well, calling on the governor to support the governor of Texas. Uh, you, as a vote counting person, um, what are the chances of that happening? <laughs> Well, I was glad to sign the letter. It's definitely the right thing to do if you look at what's happening in Texas, and I strongly support Governor Greg Abbott. Uh, I mean, let's be real. The likelihood of Governor Cooper uh, complying with the request is very low. Miracles happen, so you never know, but certainly uh, let's not hold our breath on that one. But if anything, it sends a signal not only to Texas but to the country that the North Carolina General Assembly stands behind Texas and what they're attempting to do to secure the border. Yeah. Um, what exactly has been the impact of uh, illegal immigration, not legal immigration, but illegal immigration on the labor markets in North Carolina? Yeah, it's, it's a serious impact. I mean, I, I think the, the number one problem is, are the drugs, you know, the drugs and the gangs and human trafficking is a real issue in North Carolina. That certainly disrupts the the labor market. And a lot of people don't know that um, the labor commissioner, and I'm sure you're aware and your listeners, I'm running uh, to serve as a labor commissioner, that department actually enforces E-Verify. And mm-hmm. so we want to work with the private sector and make sure they have those resources to ensure that their employees are legal. But if you talk to the sheriffs across the state, and I talk to them almost every day, it's the drugs, you know, and the, and the human trafficking. It's a real issue. It's a serious problem. 
So let's talk a little bit about the Department of Labor. It's not just your photo in the elevators. Um, do they still do? I don't even know. Do they? Are they still doing the photos in the elevators? And that's a funny question. The, <laughs> the answer is no. Uh, that tradition was set um, many years ago. But Commissioner Josh Dobson, who's retiring, uh, and he's endorsed me to take his place. I'm honored to have his support. But he did decide to take the the photo down for now. I think is he's doing that as a thank you to all the employees, the inspectors who make sure the elevators are safe. He's doing it as a way to say it was never about me. It's about you. Uh, but that being said. I cannot believe the amount of people say they want to bring the picture back. So if I get elected, we'll probably put the picture back. <laughs> so I, and I, it's, it's one of those, it's like a remarkable thing in politics, right? Like uh, of all the things that sway people. But I think also uh, the former commissioner before Dobson, Sherry Berry, I mean, I think her name did a lot too. It wasn't just the picture. I think her name is just one of those names that sticks with you. You know, once you hear it and uh, you see it in the elevator, like if you're going to work every day, uh, it's got, I think it's a twofer you know it's like a it's a one-two punch <laughs> kind of a thing um so what exactly i saw that you were um you came out last week in, in opposition to uh some mandates and I'm, I'm unclear what these mandates are so there's been some uh uh petitions or a couple petitions that have been introduced for uh, agriculture employees or employers uh, migrant housing operators what are these petitions about and then why are you opposed to them yeah, so what this does more than anything is it, it illustrates how important this office is, Labor Commissioner. If the wrong person got elected, it'd be a serious problem for workers, for businesses, for the free market in North Carolina. Um, these petitions, one, would create COVID-style mandates on private businesses for uh, contact tracing, for social distancing, uh, for mask wearing, and things like that. I mean, it really would take us back to covid and also would have restrictions on migrant housing. And the reason is because the Labor Department actually does the inspections for migrant housing. And what they're trying to say is you have to upgrade the facilities. You, if somebody gets sick, you have to get everybody out, put them in a hotel. I mean, rather than trust the business to do it the right way and follow common sense, they want to have this heavy-handed mandate. And so uh, the petition was submitted. The uh, Labor Commissioner is required by law to allow that to be heard. And I'm confident that Commissioner Josh Dobson is going to make the right decision. Um, but the, the petitions are supposed to be heard. That's just part of the process. But as a candidate for that position, I wanted to make clear that I'm against it. And so uh, I spoke against it just simply because we don't need to have these heavy-handed mandates like we had during COVID that would do uh, harm to job creation, it would hurt small businesses, it would drive up costs on businesses, which would drive up costs on consumers, and that's uh, that's something we don't need in North Carolina. So it seems odd to me, like, that for something as sweeping as what you're discussing, um, that that would not have to work its way through the legislature. Why Why is this going through just simply the, the, the DOL, the Department of Labor? That's a very good question. So, the answer to that is it, it, the commissioner can do really three things here. Uh, one is he could reject the petitions, which I cannot speak for Commissioner Dobson, but I think there's a good chance that's what will happen. Uh, or he could send them back for review and then go through the process again. Or the third option, which is unlikely in this case, but it would happen with a Democrat uh, commissioner, is that they could accept the petition, at which case it would have to go before the Rules Review Commission. 
And if they object to it, then it has to go to the General Assembly. So it's a multifaceted process. And, uh, it, again, I think it's, it's unlikely, extremely unlikely, that Commissioner Dobson will accept the petitions. But, you know, part of the process is that if they're properly submitted, that they will be heard. And that's what uh, we experienced last week. So, uh, so one of the mandates, is this mask mandates? Is this a mask mandate? Yeah. Yeah, so basically it says if uh, in a workplace, if somebody becomes sick, then it triggers this process where you, you have to have mandatory mask wearing by people in the facility and then contact tracing and um, testing for your temperature and things like that. And migrant housing, the farms that have to go get a hotel for the people to stay in. And, but here's the thing. I mean, we have common sense, right? We already have health standards. And I don't know any business that wants their employees to get sick, right? So it's just not necessary. And, and not only that, it would drive up costs and create liability on these businesses. You know, compliance costs and just the liability uh, would be a problem. Well, and also, I thought like all of the, like, we've got two dozen studies now, roughly, that the masks, and, and now with two years, you know, looking back, the masks don't actually stop the spread of the coronavirus. So if it's just about, is it just about COVID or is it about other illnesses as well? Yeah, it would cover really any airborne illness. And you're right. I mean, the, the science shows that the masks are not uh, highly effective in stopping the spread of COVID. Uh, I personally think that a lot of it's about union control. I will mention that the Democratic nominee for labor commissioner uh, was at the uh, the hearings and spoke in favor of these petitions, and he had a union rep with him. Uh, I really think it's about government control. And, and if you look at the groups pushing uh, the mandates that's the you know left wing groups that that are affiliated with unions and the NAACP and you know your your usual suspects that are you know promoting more government. Yeah, yeah. We 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 know the Democrat well. He's a city councilman or former now city councilman here. <laughs> that's been kind of yeah. His I MO. figured you, you might uh, know a thing or two about him. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else you want to add? You think is important or interesting on this before we let you run? No, uh, just uh, stay tuned on the mandates. I'm confident the commissioner will make the uh, right decision. And aside from that, we're going to focus on and preventing not only this but any other mandates, like this heat standard we'll talk about another time um, that's crazy that the federal government's trying to push. Um, but, you know, it's, I'll just tell folks it's a lot more than having your picture in the elevator. And, uh, you know, if I get nominated by the Republican Party, I'm going to work hard to win. And if I get elected, I'll put my heart and soul into it and, I appreciate the opportunity to talk today, and I'll be glad to come back on any time. All right. Thank you for your time. I do appreciate it. John Hardister, he is a, a Republican uh, candidate for the Labor Commissioner. He is also uh, state representative uh, and a deputy whip in the General Assembly. Thanks for your time, sir. Appreciate you. All right. Thank you. Take care. You. things i hate most about twitter is trying to trying to teach decrepit old people how to interact (laughs) like dude when i quote tweet you i am tweeting at you oh my goodness morons anyway news talk 1110 99.3 wbt 704-570-1110. 704-570-1110. If you want to see uh, all of the tomfoolery and dumbassery on the Twitter, it's at Pete Kaliner. At Pete Kaliner. That's K-A-L-I-N-E-R. Here's an interesting idea. 
Um, there's a race in the Republican Party for the uh, to be nominee for lieutenant governor. Um, Hal Weatherman, Hal Weatherman, former um, chief of staff, I want to say for Dan Forrest, um, the the former lieutenant governor. Uh, he's worked on various campaigns over the years. Um, you know, icon in the Republican Party of North Carolina. Um, well, I don't know about icon. Well, I mean, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Anyway, um, so he's running for lieutenant governor, and he has uh, unveiled a proposal um, that he plans to implement as lieutenant governor, where FedEx, Chick-fil-A, and Amazon will be invited to train the North Carolina Department of Motor Vehicles on efficiency and customer service. Quote, it's very simple. The DMV is notorious for long lines, poor service, and frustrated visitors. In 2023, the NCDMV decided not to focus their energy and resources on reducing wait times and instead touted a new system that would display wait times online. Yes, I have had to interact with this stupid system myself. In contrast, he says, Chick-fil-A was recently recognized for the ninth consecutive year as having the highest customer service rating of any fast food chain. As your next lieutenant governor, I'll invite Chick-fil-A and other successful companies to come train the NCDMV on efficiency and customer service. Soon, North Carolinians can go get a new license or car tag and have DMV employees say, my pleasure. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> hey, you know what? If it works, it works. I'm, I am not. I am not confident. Ooh, maybe they'll stand outside. See now, how, here's a question for you: How come DMV doesn't have a drive-through? Of all the operations, of all the operations that would have drive-through operations, you would think it would be the DMV. It's kind of their jam, right? Shouldn't it like shouldn't they be out in a drive-through line with the little iPad? You know, oh, what are you here for? Okay, sit in your car and you pull up, you know, kind of thing. I don't know. It just seems like that might be a more efficient use of time rather than making everybody park and then go in, you know. Oh, on this so okay, so this this guy So so on the uh, school vouchers this guy who keeps who keeps screaming about how he worked for Paul Icon, and that's supposed to give him like some sort of inoculation uh, against any kind of charges of being a left winger. But then he also he says social media guy post MSNBC Senator Durbin, and um, and then he's got the gay pride flag in his in his profile. And but but he wants me to believe that he's not. A leftist, right? <laughs> okay, buddy. Sure, because you worked for Paul Icahn. Oh, that, oh, that, that insulates you from all sorts of criticism. Sure. So he's a, apparently. So what happened was um, there was a, a series of tweets about uh, school vouchers over the weekend, and I pointed out uh, because Senator uh, uh, Craig, or sorry, Greg Meyer, um, he made some really stupid analogy about school vouchers. He said, um, when you take your child out of public schools, you don't get to take your tax dollars with you. If you don't want to drive the public bus, you don't get your taxes back for your car, which doesn't even make any sense. Um, 
But the point here is that if the state is charged with providing a, a, a sound basic education, then, yeah, like the state is not charged constitutionally with providing you, you know, a bus route, for example. Um, so anyway, so I pointed out to him that, uh, you know, SNAP, uh, food stamps, or Medicare and Medicaid, Section 8 housing, right? These are all voucher programs. You get to take the money that the government is providing and use it for whatever service provider you choose, or in the case of SNAP, whatever food you choose, right? And my point is, and I say this, Democrats support vouchers for all sorts of services. It's only with the education vouchers that they scream in protest. And the reason why is because it's about power. It's not about the vouchers as a concept, and it's not about the kids. It's about the power. It's about the adults, right? And that has always been the case. So I point this out in this this uh, idiot, Jimmy Williams, who's got like some massive social following, which is weird because he gets no interaction at all on any of his commentary. So it makes me wonder if it's actually paid for, but I digress. Um, he then responds to my tweet and he says, uh, let's start with corporate welfare. There, I fixed it for you, which, of course, is silly. If you know me, you know that I am constantly arguing against any kind of corporate welfare, right? I am opposed to all of the programs that Governor Cooper goes out there and all the, the business relocations and he has the big ridiculously sized uh, scissors and he cuts the ribbons. And by the way, it's not just Cooper, it's Republicans too. I always argue against those things and that's what I point out. I said, the, this leftist doesn't know that I oppose corporate handouts like Governor Cooper touts. It's a problem with both parties. He then, and because I, I took his, his message and I quoted it in my response, which he then is alerted to. He says, I need to, quote, grow a pair and tweet at me directly, you wuss. <laughs> Which I did. <laughs> and the guy's picture shows he's about a billion years old. So now I have to, now I've got to educate this guy on what a quote tweet is. I'm doing the Lord's work here, people. Seriously. Because if I don't, if I don't do it, somebody else is going to have to do it at some point. See, so I will bite the bullet. I will do this. I will do it in a nice way. I'm a giver.